and Steve on Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Hour number two of Arizona Sports Saturday, live from the Akchin Community Studios. Mitch Feraldis, Steve Zinsmeister, Trevor Henry, keeping us company behind the glass. So earlier this week, we'd mentioned it a couple of times in the pri- in the prior Cardinals segment when we talked about this, but this week was the uh, league meetings for the NFL. They get held here in Phoenix. Where do um, they do that? The Biltmore? Yeah, in like okay. the Biltmore area. I figured. And there's, there's like convention centers, hotel. It's the annual coaches photo, and I didn't even realize. I, I was able to name all of them after about 30 minutes. Really? <laughs> oh, it took you 30 minutes? I know. I was... I paid too much attention. I didn't realize three coaches were not in the picture. You didn't do the So math. I didn't do everything right. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I named all 32 coaches, but there's only 29 there's people only in the photo. So. Like, uh, and then it's like I have to figure out, okay, who didn't show up, blah, right. blah, blah. But I did not spend time doing that. What I did spend time doing was listening to what head coach Jonathan Gannon had to say, the head coach of the Cardinals. We have not heard from a lot of Cardinals brass about the direction of the team and they've also not made waves with any of the free agent signings that they've made so far this offseason. Yeah, I keep clicking on the Arizona Cardinals transaction page <laughs> and hoping to see something new. And it's like, last updated, January hey, 2023. March, March 20th, Zach Pascal. I'm like, okay, I'm going to stop looking at this. Listen, uh, one of our biggest gripes has been that the Cardinals won't just come out and say, here's the plan, mm-hmm. uh, which isn't something that's required of an NFL team. No, absolutely I don't expect not. an NFL team to come out and say, like, here's what we're going to do. We're going to sign this guy, that guy, this guy, and that guy. And then we're going to draft this guy, that guy, this position. I don't expect them to lay it all out I don't out need that us. much transparency, but I would like a, a plan, a direction. And, and what's hard about it, too, and maybe we should give them the benefit of the doubt a little bit, is these guys just started. Sure. Money awesome for it, let alone being new to being a general manager, is new to Arizona. I mean, the guy just moved here a couple of weeks ago. Jonathan Gannon, same song and dance. So uh, I imagine they're still putting together the plan as we're proceeding. Sure. Were they ready for free agency to start? Yeah, probably ready is the right word. But at the same time, were they? did they have this grand scheme of a plan all set in place? Probably not at that point. You're still evaluating your own players in-house. Mm-hmm. You're evaluating the draft. These guys come in with an understanding of, okay, Monty Ossifort knows the players in the draft because he was working on this for another team before he came here. Uh, same with Jonathan Gannon, I imagine, had a plan of what, you know, my offense, my defense is going to look like, but he's got to put together a staff and then he's got to turn his attention to his players. It's all, we're asking for them to put it all together and present it to us on a platter and say, here's our 12 course meal tonight. I don't know how many courses are in a fancy meal. I just kind of made up a number. I haven't, admittedly, haven't had a 12 course meal before. Nah, I can't afford it. We're asking them to present it to us, and it's hard because they're figuring it out on the fly. So here's where I will also defend the Cardinals free agency is a two way street. They could have easily reached out to any of these guys that signed contracts and just been told no. I'm not interested. Sure. That is easily just as much a part of this. Or you negotiate and you just can't come to a number. The other thing, though, is that of all the guys they retained, I really wish they would have retained some of the younger guys. Like, did they talk to Zach Allen? Did they talk to Byron Murphy? Those are things I would like to know because those were two key guys of your defense last year who are now going to be on opposite fields next year. One of them who got paid a ton of money. A ton. The other one who is... 
kind of on a prove it deal. It's more of a one and one for Byron Murphy in Minnesota than it is like a true two year deal. I just want some understanding. So the closest we got to it was Jonathan Gannon sat down with the media earlier this week. Where would you like to start? I've got plenty of things. How about with free agency? Yeah. He emphasized that there's a reason that we shouldn't get too hyped up about free agency. We don't win any games in free agency. I know that. Um, so, yeah, I feel really good about the pieces that we added. We had a very clear vision of why we added them. And um, we know why they know why they're coming here, uh, which is huge to me. They know their role and, and where we're gonna, what we're going to ask them to do and how we're going to ask them to fit in. And um, I'm excited to get to work with those guys. See, like, I can accept the fact that they brought guys in and he emphasized that the guys already know what they're doing. Like, cool. Okay, so you got direction. You explained to them direction on the way in the door. That's great. You don't win games in free agency? Really? There's a direct correlation between getting good players, however you choose to get them, for yes. you to see the draft, trades, and winning games. Yes. It, it's kind of like uh, it's like the, the terrible quote from uh, ASU President Michael Crow last week where he said, uh, well, how good our arena is doesn't affect us winning or losing games. I mean, it could. Of course it does. <laughs> we all know that. You're telling me that a recruit, a really good player who's a recruit out of high school, comes to your arena and says, I don't want to play in this arena. You yeah. just lost more games. That's just math. That's the way that it works. It's the same thing here. Jonathan Gannon is technically right. The games are won on the field, but we can all acknowledge that getting players, whether it's through free agency or the draft, directly affects and impacts whether or not you're going to win games moving forward. Really, free agency is opportunity cost. What did you miss out on by going the route that you did? We don't know that. We'll never know that. We've never known that about professional sports unless somebody's really willing to pull back the curtain and reveal, hey, because we got Kaiser White, we missed out on, I don't know, I'm just naming him the most random player I can think of, like Fletcher Cox or something like that. Sure. We had to choose one or the other. We chose one, and we missed out on the other. Then you know, but you and I, we'd never know. We're not, they're not going to come out and tell us, hey, we were negotiating with Byron Murphy, but, uh, yeah, we just couldn't match the price point that the Vikings gave him. They're not going to come out and say, like, oh, yeah, we would have loved to have Zach, Zach Allen, but uh, we offered $14 million a year. They offered sixteen or whatever it was. Like, th- those are just the details we can't know. And while I would love for them to come out and be like, here's the game plan. We're going to rebuild this year. This is a complete rebuilding. Well, I would like the transparency. At the same time, it's hard for them because they don't know what the end roster is going to look like. They have no clue. But do they at least have a vision of what it could look like? Because then I start to worry. He did say that in that clip. He said, we have a vision of what these these players we went and got in free agency, what they're going to be doing. Right. But like, do you have an end game vision? Do you have an idea of this is what I want the Arizona Cardinals to be like? Like you could sit at a press conference and and pound your fist and say, we will not tolerate ego. And we're going to get guys that love the game of football. We're going to get guys that work hard and do their job, blah, 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 blah. Whatever patriot monerisms you want to take with you. Show me that you're trying to build a successful team for the future. Because you're starting off on the wrong foot. The, the other thing that I hate about the NFL, one of very few things that I hate about the NFL, is that free agency comes before the draft. The reason being is, in the draft, you don't have as much say over what you decide to do. What I mean by that is, like, you and I just had a fantasy baseball draft. Same kind of thing, right? Where, after the first two rounds, how many third basemen, good third basemen, were left? None. 
They're all off the board by the end of the second or third round. There's a huge right. drop-off. So you're not going to pick a third baseman in the fourth or fifth round because they're just not as good as the value of, let's say, a starting pitcher or an outfielder. Same thing applies in the NFL draft, right? Or any draft. What you do in the NFL draft is dictated by what everyone else does. In free agency, you can make a concerted effort. You can make a choice to go and overpay or what you deem is a necessary cost to get a player at a position. Yeah, That's why I think the draft should come first. Because the draft, you don't determine what happens in the draft. Sometimes you're just not... The wide receivers just aren't there, so we're going to go another way. And we'll get a free agency uh, wide receiver. And that's why I don't like the order of operations in the NFL. I would much rather the draft come first because you don't get to pick guys as much as you do in free agency. But it's hard to enter free agency in March not knowing what positions you're going to fill in the draft and say, okay, I'm willing to spend X amount of dollars on this. I wish they were reversed. Personal opinion. I haven't really thought about it that way, but you make a good point. Um, Something else that Jonathan Gannon is probably concerning himself with. uh, DeAndre Hopkins, who we haven't really had a clear... We haven't really gotten a clear idea of what they plan to do. We just know that they've talked. We just know that DeAndre Hopkins' name is out there. We haven't even heard, like, inklings of reports of teams that are most likely to do it. We've heard, like, hey, it's this team. But then next week, no, it's this team. And then, oh, DeAndre Hopkins is posting something on his Instagram story, and then he deleted it. Well, Jonathan Gannon says that he's operating as if DeAndre Hopkins is a cardinal. Right now, I'm operating under the premise that Hops are starting X, and people are going to have to defend them. So, uh, you know, that's a, probably a better question for Monty. But um, he's uh, he's been great, and uh, I'm looking forward to getting to work with him too. So, uh, if, if everyone that's has a jersey right now, I'm looking forward to coaching and and fitting them all in together. We're waiting on resolution for that, but there's something in the Cardinals' control as well that we're waiting on re- resolution with. Isaiah Simmons, fifth-year option. It's a conversation we've had a little bit here and there. We are aware that it needs to happen. The deadline for it, I believe, is a month away. Very interesting response, though, from Gannon in terms of not necessarily directly asked, will you give him the fifth-year option, but just listen to what he says. Even though we might have a vision for him and he might say, you know, I can do this, this, and this, let's make sure he's comfortable with what we're asking him to do mentally and physically. So uh, that'll take a little bit of feeling out um, from both sides, but we got time before we line up in, you know, week one in September. So I'm not going to rush that. We're not going to rush that, but uh, really good communication with Isaiah. You know, he got good news about, you know, uh, his health um so he's gonna be here and excited ready to go i have no idea what the next question was that was asked of jonathan gannon but i have an obvious follow-up okay what are you gonna ask him to do he said in that cut you know we feel comfortable with what we're going to ask him to do what what is it what are you gonna ask him to do and some of that might be determined by okay have we found an efficient number of pass rushers did we go out and draft will anderson did we uh, well, sign. I know what they have found an efficient amount of middle linebackers. Oh, it seem. True. So uh, some of it may be determined by position flexibility and, and what positions they have a lot of depth at. But what is it that you're going to ask Simmons to do? Mm-hmm. If it's not drop back into coverage, which seems to be less and less likely that they're going to ask him to do, if it's you're already signing multiple middle linebackers, Collins is still around, obviously. You go get Kaiser White, who's an over-100 tackle guy last year. I assume that means he's playing the middle somewhere. 
Where does that leave Simmons? And we, we had the conversation, I think it was a week or two ago, about uh, Simmons being asked to be a pass rusher and mm-hmm. whether or not that's a good idea. I'm not really for it because, honestly, he's never really played that position full time. I know he's had spurts where he was really good at sacking the quarterback. He's a good pursuer. I think that's a great skill that he has. I don't know that that makes him a great pass rusher on down-to-down situations. I just It's the obvious follow-up question. What are you going to ask him to do? Is he going to be a full-time pass rusher? I don't know if that question was asked. Not to my knowledge. In fairness, it might have been, but I... And he might not answer it. He might dance around that to begin with. I mean, there's been a lot of dancing by some of the answers made early on this year. Coming up next, usually a win over the number one team in the Western Conference is supposed to feel good, right? So then why do I feel let down by what the Suns did last night? That's next on Arizona Sports Saturday. Veraldis, Steve Zinsmeister, Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Over the ball on the left side. Back to Durant. Shovels it in the corner. Okogi for three. Shazam! Josh Okogi with a super trio. Oh, brother. Shazam! Let the boys be boys, right, Trev? That's right. That's slam, I guess. That, of course, was Al McCoy on the call. The Akogi Dagger 3, and I don't mean that facetiously. I do mean Dagger 3, Steve, as we welcome you back into the Oxygen Community Studios. The Suns beat the Denver Nuggets by seven points last night. That's a good thing. If I just say that sentence, your reaction is, and my reaction is, that's awesome. That's a good thing. They beat the number one seed in the West. Who did not play for Denver last night? Nikola Jokic, Tavius Caldwell, Pope, Michael Porter Jr., and Jamal Murray. (laughs) Damn near no one. (laughs) Four out of their five starters did not play last night. So, now that you know that, I'm going to repeat the first sentence I said. Yeah. The Phoenix Suns defeated the Denver Nuggets by seven points last night. Now, what is your reaction? Okay. (laughs) Okay. Uh Listen, at one point in this game, I think, I don't remember what the maximum lead was, but at one point I looked at the scoreboard and the Suns were up by 23. as high as 23, yes. And then at one point in the, I think it was the fourth quarter, they were up by four. So somewhere in there, there's a uh, a disconnect. Well, I mean, I can, tell you, I can tell you right where the disconnect is. Uh, Denver scored 34 to Phoenix's 24 in the third quarter. Well, that would be it. That would be it. That's almost inexcusable. Denver, Which, go, Denver, the entire night went 20, 20, then 34, and then 19. Yeah, something about that third quarter, because I know we talked about it a week ago. We were coming off of that game against Sacramento where uh, they let up 45 points. And if I remember right, they won that game too, but it, it was one of those things where we're like, that's one of the worst quarters I've ever seen. Well, there was the one against the Kings where they had the lead going into the half unraveled in the third quarter, and that was the end of it. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Did they lose that game? Kings, I can't remember. The Kings won that game. Okay, the Kings won that game. I, I, I'm getting them all confused. Because there was that Sixers game where I was shocked. I was in the building. I was shocked that they ended up beating the Sixers that night. Granted, no James Harden. And maybe you could compare the two games, the one from last night to that one, where, okay, like none of the good players for the Nuggets played. Aaron Gordon's a pretty good player. I'll give him credit. He had 26 last night. But he was their only starter. Yeah. And even he didn't the have only a great one. night. He was 10 of 23. Right. Wasn't great. Not great. He came to play, at least. Here's what I do hate about that line, though. He had five offensive rebounds last night. 
Yeah. Second chance opportunities for a team that only had one starter, that's almost inexcusable. Denver had 15 second chance opportunities last night. Yeah, and there's a huge advantage, too. While both of these teams basically shot the same percentage from the floor, uh, Phoenix shot 37% from three. Denver shot 23% from beyond the arc. Like, right, they were abysmal that's last night. That's a bad, that's they, a really bad And the night. Suns only won by seven. You got to put them away, man. You're not going to have the easy contest coming up here in this final week of the season and then in the first week of the playoffs. You're not going to have Kawhi Leonard load managing some of the games in the postseason to manage his injury when those games come around. You're not going to have taking it easy Paul George. You're not going to have taking it easy Russell Westbrook. You're going to have a Ty Lue coach team that is going to be dancing around you if you're not disciplined through all four quarters. Last night was not disciplined. In the second half. No, to your point, you're not going to get another game like this. You're not going to get another game in the playoffs. You might in the next week if you play another team. I, I, don't, I haven't looked at the well, schedule. So, so but they play Oklahoma City next on the road. They're going to go at Oklahoma you. Oklahoma City cares. They have they're, something to play for. They're the 10 seed right now, and they're trying to maintain ground over Dallas. Okay. After that, I know for a fact you've got Denver again on Thursday. Uh, correct. You're going to have the Lakers again. How hard will Denver play for that game? Well, I can certainly tell you that they're not going to be sitting four starters. Will they sit Jokic? I can't predict that far in advance. They've got the playoffs locked up. They're two games up on the Grizzlies for but the they number want one the, seed. They want the one seed. I would think so. Let's let's not discount the fact that teams that have the one seed want the one seed. If nothing else, I could see them load managing the only exception, Nikola Jokic. The only exception last year when Milwaukee essentially ducked a Brooklyn first-round matchup in, against Boston, and then karma basically bit them in the ass. Yeah. So the Suns have Oklahoma City on the road. Yep. Back home for San Antonio. That yep. should be a cakewalk. Should be. Back home for Denver. And then second night of a back-to-back in L.A. taking on the Lakers. And then back home Sunday taking on the Clippers. That is not an easy closing stretch. That's four games against opponents that actually care about their final seed. Yeah, and really, I uh, let's just look at that last three Well, I guess games you could say five, but San Antonio's going the other way. Yeah, I'm not throwing them in the mix. Those last three games could be competitive. I, again, I don't know how much Denver will have to play for. I guess we'll wait and find out on April 6th. Uh, but those two L.A. games, those teams certainly have a lot to play for. And to be honest with you, the Suns might be competing with them for that last home court advantage at that four seed. You're clinging to a four seed right now. Yeah. That's your objective is to capture the four seed and develop as much team chemistry as you can because you've had very limited time this season, especially with Kevin Durant. He's only played in five games. You have limited time to come together as a cohesive unit, and I don't know that they've done that yet. Well, it's funny you mentioned that because Booker last night after the game actually kind of pointed that out as maybe that was a positive as to them having to play the full game last night. I mean, you can scout and scheme all you want, but, you know, you need some experience today. And, and I think the benefit of tonight is, you know, we didn't sit the fourth quarter. It's still late game situations, and, you know, we were put in those. So, you know, I think that's good moving forward for us. But don't get me wrong. I would also rather them pummel a team that's down four starters. I don't want them to... Uh, hell, as Kevin Durant said it, let their foot off the gas. We just let our foot off the gas just a little bit, and they was just playing extremely hard. They got, uh, I think, like just two fast break open uh, court steals, and that got them going a bit. Uh, and then they start, you know, they didn't make threes in the first half, so they made a couple there that kind of cut the lead and gave them some momentum. So um, we got to just do a better job of just sticking with it, you know, sticking with the game plan and 
You know, the first half was a good good showing for us. Yeah, I want to be careful how I tee this up because a couple of weeks ago when Durant did get hurt, I made it a point to say on the air that I don't think wins and losses the rest of the way was the most important thing. The most important thing was gelling as a team, coming together and being uh, decisive in how they play. And while last night didn't give me a ton of confidence that they're there yet, you certainly still have, what did we say, five games left to figure it out before Mm -hmm. you get to the playoffs. Every minute that Kevin Durant and Devin Booker, in particular, that those two gentlemen play together on the court is valuable because you're building towards this chemistry that you have to have in the playoffs. If you don't, it's a failure. They're 5-0. and As a duo. No, and that's why I I want to frame this as like, it's not the end of the world what happened last night. But I would have liked to have seen even more further development. The Suns put this out too. 290 combined points. It's the most points by a duo in their first five games as teammates since 1962-63. Here's the thing though. I know they can play. I expected that. That's a good point. When Durant and Booker play together. I expect them to both be great. And they're going to make each other better by competing. One of the greatest things that ever happened to Devin Booker in his career was that when he was a rookie, who was the guy he had to play against in practice every day? P.J. Tucker, Mm -hmm. who's maybe the greatest defensive player the Suns had had before Mikel Bridges, probably. I mean, that made Booker better because every day in practice he had to go against Tucker. And I'm not saying that Booker and Durant are facing each other in practice every day. Maybe they are. I don't know. I'm not in the building. (laughs) But just their competitive nature about both of them wanting to be the best, that's going to elevate themselves. How are they elevating everyone else? Because last night, uh, Terrence Ross didn't score. Not saying that he has to score for them to win. Obviously, he didn't, and they've still won. But how did campaign play last night? Not very good. Torrey Craig didn't add much. Uh, Chris Paul didn't score much, although he's not asked to score a whole lot when he's the fourth best option on the floor offensively. I think we've seen it with the rotations, too. At least one of Devin Booker or Kevin Durant is on the floor at all times. And at least the previous previous two games. There is at least one, if not both, of them on the floor at all times. And if nothing else, that helps keep the rest of the team motivated. And then you're putting an emphasis on the fact that, oh, Booker, or say it's Booker, for example. Booker's trapped, but here comes campaign to save the day. Or here comes Terrence Ross, wide open three. Kevin Durant, he's trapped. Oh, well, he can peel out and feed it to Bismack Biombo cutting down the lane. It creates opportunities for the other guys. Those opportunities they just didn't produce last night. I'm not going to argue that they're not there. They are most certainly there. If you watch them, Durant more and more specifically really does get everybody else involved if he finds a way. And the cool part is because he's so giving and like when he first played those three games, what was it? Almost a month ago. Now he was finding guys like Jock Landale wide open. Mm-hmm. He's finding Josh Kogi wide open. And that's really what's cool about watching that is every time he finds one of those guys, one of his teammates open, it gives you an opening into the future in the playoffs when it's like, okay, I know where that guy's going to be because we've done it before. There's just not a lot of examples of them having an opportunity to do it before. It only helps their offense improve. Coming up next, did the Diamondbacks find a new secret weapon last night? Against the Dodgers, nonetheless. That's coming up next on Arizona Sports Saturday. Mitch and Steve on Arizona Sports Saturday. Swung on and belted, deep to left, Peralta back at the track, at the wall, gone! 
one. Not the hero that you might have suspected in game two of the regular season. Kyle Lewis, former rookie of the year during that weird 2020 COVID year. It was a good rookie season, though. I mean, yeah, it was a great two months. <laughs> I mean, that's what that season Touché. ended up being. Touche. I'm not trying to belittle the, uh, the accolade. I think Kyle Lewis played great. And I think he's been down on his luck for a little while at the MLB level. And the Diamondbacks made a low-risk, possible high-reward trade to go get Kyle Lewis in the offseason. Uh, they traded Cooper Hummel to the Seattle Mariners. I think we should tell that story, by the way. Friend of the show, Cooper Hummel. No, uh, I don't I'm know about kidding. that. <laughs> we did a show from the Fall League back in October, right? Mm-hmm. And you and I were up in the booth at Chase Field during the first ever triple header at Chase Field for the Fall League. And we interviewed Cooper Hummel, who at the time was an Arizona Diamondback. That's why we were talking to him. And Cooper Hummel, correct me if I'm wrong, but he said something like the 2023 Arizona Diamondbacks will be the 2022 Seattle Mariners. Something to that ilk. And then we laughed after he got traded to the Mariners. Like a week later, he got traded to the Mariners, which we, you know, good for him, though, too, because that's a great team context. He's, he's on the opening day roster. I, yeah. think, I think he scored a run the other night. Yeah, like, it's great for him. Yeah. Uh, I think it works for both sides. But Kyle Lewis comes over and on a team like the Diamondbacks, where you have so many emerging young outfielders, so many that they even traded their best one in the offseason to Toronto. And that's Dalton Varsho, the most established of them. Corbin Carroll's. Almost brand new. He came up in September. Alec Thomas is young and still figuring things out. Jake McCarthy, obviously, still young as well. Now you got Kyle Lewis in the mix. Lourdes Gurriel is really the only exception here where he's considered a veteran, an established player. Kyle Lewis might be a bit of an X factor for the Arizona Diamondbacks this season. So you see him as their their secret weapon, per se. He could be. As you've been teasing. He could be. I'm not saying he's going to go off for like 30 home runs or anything. Is he going to hit leadoff and strike out four times again? Like, what Kyle Lewis are we going to get? Are we going to get the dude that came up clutch as he did last night? Or are we going to get the dude that couldn't get on base to save his life? So, X Factor indeed, but we want the positive X Factor, of course, not the negative X Factor. It's an incredibly small sample size. Of course. We're we're working in a two-game vacuum, right? right? But I completely am with you in the idea that he could pay dividends for them, right? You think about the way the roster is for this year. There, There's not a lot of adults, as you pointed it out, in the room. <laughs> I didn't right? say that. That was your word. Well, okay, I will use the word. There's not a lot of adults. There is a lot of youth. A ton of youth. Yeah. And that can be a good thing. Right. But we've seen it be successful with the Astros, for example, the 2017 Astros. A lot of young guys. But you know what they were supplementing them with? A lot of veterans. Josh Reddick, Brian McCann, Carlos Beltran, I think they got midseason or even for that full season. Understanding that you work your core or you build your core with young pieces and then build around that core with solid supplemental veterans, right? Granted, we found out that team was cheating, so whether that philosophy <laughs> whether that philosophy Small is detail. a good one or not. <laughs> Small minor detail. They were cheating. I still think the philosophy idea works though. Say your young core is Corbin Carroll, Alec Thomas, Jake McCarthy. You've now got Gabriel Moreno. You've got Jordan Lawler on the way. Who are the veterans that are going to supplement these guys? Is it Cattell Marte? Is it Christian Walker? 
Like, they who certainly are some both the, play a who role. Who are some of the guys that are going to help these younger guys adjust at this level? And to elaborate on your point, I mean that's been the that's been the team uh, formula that's existed for championship contending teams for a long time. Uh, I've had this uh, on the Ain't No Fang podcast at ArizonaSports.com. If you go check it out, I've been talking about this for years. Steve's equation for building a World Series champion team. And the Diamondbacks are, are starting to, to catch on. The formula exists. It's been done for many of the past couple of world champions. Uh, Boston did it in 2013 when they called up a young core of hitters that you develop yourself. Xander Bogertz camp comes up. Rafael Devers eventually for the 2018 team. Mookie Betts. Uh, Mookie Betts is in that draft class, so he's not up at this point yet. But they have uh, Will Middlebrooks comes up, who I know not a huge name, but at the time he was. Sure. And they win a World Series in that in that small window there. Um, they won a little bit ahead of schedule. The the Cubs, fast forward to 2016. Oh, the 13th. Sorry about that. Schwarber we're talking about. Uh, Javi Baez, Chris Bryant. Rizzo they bring up, Chris Bryant. These are hitters they developed within their own core. They traded for Rizzo, but he was a prospect when they got him. Then what you do after you have that core of young hitters is you supplement them with veterans that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. The Jason Haywards, the Benzo Brists. Now the Jason um, Hayward, oh man. No, but that but that helped. I mean, without Jason Hayward's speech during the rain delay, <laughs> the Cubs don't win the World Series. I'll give more credit to like John Lester and David Ross, though. That's fair too, but that goes to my next part of the equation. Okay. Third part of the equation, which the Diamondbacks are not there yet. You once you've figured all of that out, you've got the young core of hitters, you've supplemented them with good veterans in the lineup. Now you need an ace. Now you go and get the ace starting pitcher, the John Lester for the Cubs. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I, I want to supplement that too by saying an ace in the bullpen doesn't hurt. Or all this Chapman trade. If you want to talk about Cleveland in 2016, Andrew Miller. You want to talk about uh, the next couple of World Series champions? How about the, the Red Astros Sox in 18. The Astros go and get Garrett Cole, Justin Verlander, Verlander. Red Sox in 18 got Chris Sale. Uh, yep, the Red Sox get Chris Sale. Um, you want to talk about the Nationals. They go out and get Patrick Corbin, who was actually good that year <laughs> before well, they, he fell off the face of the They also had Max Scherzer and Steven Strasburg. Let's focus this on That's the Diamondbacks the equation. now because I like this ace angle. Are you implying that the ace is not on this team? I think it is. I think Zach Gallen is that guy. But you can't do it alone. And while I certainly think that there's value in Merrill Kelly, although he had a rough outing last night, um, I think Merrill Kelly is a really good pitcher. I think he'd be an awesome third or fourth starter in a rotation. Unfortunately, because of lack of depth and because Madison Bumgarner hasn't played to expectations, Merrill Kelly is your two. And a good one. Don't get me wrong. I just think I would love if Merrill Kelly was my fourth starter in a rotation, not the second guy. Just based on, and that's not his fault. That's based on the team not having depth at the starting pitching position. Right. I think by this season's end, if I had to guess, this rotation will look pretty different. Zach Gallon will be at the top. Merrill Kelly will be somewhere near the top as well. You're going to have a lot of young guys. There's a guy named Brandon Fott who's, I think, currently in AAA, or maybe they started him lower, I'm not sure, but he's in the minor leagues. That guy's probably going to be really good. I'm excited about him. Dre Jamison's in the bullpen. He's going to get back to the rotation, and Ryan Nelson is that fifth guy right now. It's going to look different by the end of the year. Can I throw maybe a curveball in this? What about a trade for one? Always possible. So a couple things would need to happen then in this scenario. Diamondbacks would need to be in a position where they're pushing for the playoffs. 
whether it's a wild card spot or hell, even the division. Who knows what it's going to be? Apparently, a lot of people down on the Dodgers, a lot of people high on the Padres. Look how that's turning out so far. If the Diamondbacks are in a position where they could buy, but maybe pull off a trade somewhat similar to what they did and how they got Gabriel Moreno. I don't see that happening because to get Moreno, you had to give up your best, your best or second best hitter. Well, this this is what it's I'm going to argue is you're not giving up the prospect this time, right? Or sorry, you're not getting the prospect this time. You're giving up the prospect. Okay. Now, I'm not saying, oh, it's got to be Tommy Henry or it's got to be Brandon. Fo-. Well, actually, maybe Tommy Henry. But if it means getting this close to ace and usually around the trade deadline, that's when movement of higher quality tier starting pitchers tend to get moved. The most significant one I can think of, Max Scherzer going from the Nationals to the Dodgers a couple of years ago. Yeah. Before then, it was Verlander going from the Tigers to the Astros, right? It's not completely out of the ordinary that an ace pitcher gets sent to a new team midseason. Do the Diamondbacks have it in them to be able to try and get that ace if they're in a spot where they feel like they can truly push? Uh, I don't know about that. And... (laughs) Color me surprised that we're talking about the MLB trade deadline on the second day of the season. Um, but I mean, we're also complaining about the team uh, on the second day of the season. I get it. Let's let's go there just for for going there's sake. Um, I'm here to tell you that the Diamondbacks have a surplus of two things. They have a surplus of young left-handed hitting outfielders. Even after trading Dalton Marshall, you have Corbin Carroll, Jake McCarthy, and Alec Thomas at the major leagues. You have Dominic Fletcher, who played for Team Italy in the WBC and turned some heads there. Uh, he's pretty much ready for the majors at AAA. Um, Dominic Canzone, who I... Th- Wait, was he the one that played for you? I can't even remember who played for who. Fletcher. Fletcher played for Italy. Canzone, I wanted to say played in the WBC, but I can't remember. He's a pretty good player in his own right. So you've got a bunch of dudes that can play outfield at the minor league level that there might not be a spot for them right now in the major leagues considering the guys that are there. Uh, So you could trade from that surplus. You could trade from the starting pitching surplus, which I know is scary because when you're a team like the Diamondbacks who doesn't have depth at the major league level, you'd like to try out a bunch of these young guys and see which one's going to stick in the long term. Mm -hmm. So I'm not highly recommending that they trade from their youth of starting pitching before they figure out if they're going to be any good. There's a guy named Blake Walston, a lefty in the minors. We talked about Brandon Fott. You mentioned Tommy Henry. Uh, who has been in the major leagues for uh, a minute, or was at least, they have surpluses at certain positions that they can trade from. Does it equate to an ace? Probably not. It's probably one of those deals midseason where you're trading a couple minor league outfielders and a couple minor league uh, pitchers to go out and get a guy who's going to be the third or fourth pitcher in your rotation. That's my guess. But like we both said, it's early. Oh, way early. So, who knows? Way, way early. Coming up next... A new deal in the NBA that could have massive impact on the Suns' spending in the future. That's next on Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Mitch and Steve present Footnotes on Arizona Sports Saturday. Footnotes, as always, is the portion of the show where we cram in a bunch of stuff that we didn't have a chance to talk about. Throughout the show. Just as important. They are just as important. We just did not have space to talk about them today. And one of them is probably the most significant thing that we didn't talk about today. And it happened at about mm, 1230 local time this morning. 
there was an agreement between the NBA and the NBA Players Association on a new collective bargaining agreement that will take effect next year. And I believe for at least the next six years. And then there's a mutual option for a seventh year of that deal. Here's why it matters. As our own Kellen Olson pointed out on his Twitter today, there is a new aspect of this CBA that impacts teams that go into the luxury tax. I'll read exactly from ESPN's article. The NBA is curbing the ability of the highest spending teams to continue running up salary and luxury tax spending while still maintaining mechanisms to add talent to the roster. So what the NBA is doing is they're implementing a second salary cap apron of about $17.5 million over the tax line. And those teams will no longer have access to the taxpayer mid-level in free agency. For example, that was Dante DiVincenzo to Golden State. That was Joe Ingles to Milwaukee. With this existing apron, those players cannot sign with those teams anymore. So they're trying to even the playing field a little bit. Right. Here's what Kellen points out how it impacts the Suns. Can't imagine this part of the agreement being worse timing for anyone but the Suns, coming off what will easily be the biggest salary slash tax bill in franchise history after a rebuild that would have been aided by the benefits coming for those lower spending teams. So just as soon as you get Kevin Durant and now have him on the books with Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton and Chris Paul, you don't get to use those little extra benefit sneaky contracts that a lot of other teams get to use because you're over the limit. So you're basically rolling with Durant, Paul, Booker, Ayton next season. And nobody else. You can't afford anybody else. (laughs) And nobody else. And anybody who can play basketball. Well, get your jerseys ready. Yeah. Yeah. I'm more of a point guard, I think. Can I be number 55? But I'm taller than Mitch, so does that make me a shooting guard? I don't know. I don't know. I don't even know if I'm that good of a distributor. Other aspects that are in this new CBA. A mid-season tournament, which I believe they said it takes place at around December. Why? And it does not impact the regular season schedule. As a matter of fact, it just kind of takes regular season games. Wait, when would it happen? Translates them to this. I believe December, it said. Okay. I and then it with out. that... Two teams, the teams that play in this mid-season tournament final, they would play a total of 83 regular season games. I figured it out. I know why they're doing that. Nobody cares about the NBA in December. Not until Christmas. Like NFL playoffs, right? Nobody watches the NBA until Christmas. We all know that. Really New Year's Day, I guess, but like Christmas right around that area. So they're they're trying to create buzz in December. They're trying to get people's eyeballs on basketball while we're all still watching football. So here's what's in that makes our, sense. Here's what's in our article on ArizonaSports.com. Barring a change to the current plan, teams will be given an 80 game schedule for next year in August. The 80 games will include tournament games, probably four, that will count in regular season standings. All teams will have two more games added to their schedule evenly, so the full 82 game slate is played. The two teams that make the tournament final will be playing an 83rd game that won't count in the standings. But they still have to play one more game. Oh, boy. So, every, okay, yeah, that makes sense. It's all about money. Um, and then the other notable thing, minimum 65 games to be eligible for awards and all-NBA voting. I don't mind that in a world where load management is a thing and you get guys who don't play back-to-backs or they only play, like, two or three games a week, and if there's a fourth, like, sorry, not going to play them. Right. I don't mind that. I think that's a good rule. There's a lot of stuff in there, a lot of businessy stuff. We've got a full article on ArizonaSports.com and the Arizona Sports app if you want to get caught up. And while you're there, you can see that, turns out, complaining about officiating will get you fined. 
Oh, especially if you're uh, Rudy Gobert or Chris Finch. Rudy Gobert, 25G fine for his comments after the loss against the Suns. What was Monty uh, Williams' fine last week? 20. I feel like he could have gone further then. That's interesting that Ro- Gobert If Rudy got went as far as he did, I mean, he accused the NBA of rigging games. For the Phoenix Suns and other teams, and the the that was the that lost, was the assumption. He lost me when he said the Kings, though. Hey, yeah, I'm sorry. It just like, feels like they've oh, been the on the NBA's favor for all these years. The NBA's rigging the Kings. They've only made the playoffs for the first time in 17 years. Yeah, and it's not like the Suns have had all that much luck in the last decade. Chris Finch, the Wolves head coach, got fined 15 G as well for his comment. I just feel like maybe they could have gone a lot further, Monty Williams. I mean, he's a nice guy, so I get it. He's It's not really his M.O. to, like, you know, trash refs. Who was the guy who called out a ref by name a couple oh, weeks ago? Oh, that was Fred Van Vliet. Fred Van Vliet. That ref got reassigned, by the way. Yeah. Not fired, but reassigned. What does that tell you? He might have done something wrong. Might have done something right. Hey, there's one thing about the Diamondbacks-Dodgers game that we did not touch on uh-huh. yet, and I'm... I'm not sure if you know where I'm going with this, but it was the first game. It was in the later innings, and I see a video circulating on Twitter of a of a gentleman running out onto the field in left. <laughs> yeah. He turns around to left field. If you've never seen the video, I'm just going to describe it right now. Turns around to left field, and he gets down on one knee and opens up the ring. He proposed to his girlfriend, and as he's on his knee, the security guard just wham! Knocks him over, not out, out, but knocks him out over. Obviously, they posted Bond. And then I saw on her Instagram page later, she said yes. Yeah, she said yes. Probably should have said no. <laughs> um, also, she put in the caption, well, it was a bit much, but he is a Leo. He's a Leo. Like, who cares? Who cares he's a Leo? Jeez. So what, other Leos are likely to do this too? You yeah, know, the I other can't thing, wait for Cliff Kingsbury to do that with his girlfriend. The other thing, yeah, I kind of doubt he would do that. <laughs> Uh, the other thing that happened in that game was the whole thing with the lights. Oh, my God. The Dodgers apparently haven't gotten new lights at Dodger Stadium since, like, 1962. Uh, so they're still operating on, like, old-school tungsten lights or something. Yeah, apparently. Um, they went a little crazy with the LEDs, and they were flashing them at, at times during, re- like, actual play and during yeah. warm-ups for certain D-backs pitchers. I'm not accusing them of cheating or anything, and Tori Lovello didn't go that far either, but he was basically admitting, he's like, yeah, we're going to have to take a look at that and, like, what's going on there. Felt like somebody was getting a little overzealous with the new toy that they got. (laughs) It's like you give them a shiny object, and they're like, ooh, what does this one do? What does this one do? Let's use it too much. When I was in middle school, I lived next to a uh, the middle school football field. Like, our house was right behind it, right? And they built uh, new lights for the stadium. And what I didn't know is that stadium lights, apparently, you have to burn out the bulbs Hmm. when you install them. So they put in these lights, and it was right through the window to my bed where I sleep or try to sleep every night. (laughs) And I couldn't sleep for a week because they were burning the bulbs at the football field across the way. I didn't even mention the best part of this whole thing. So the guy's proposing in left field. Lourdes Gurriel, who's playing left field that night, he, he he went through the gambit. So he's got his hands up. He's like, oh, this is so great. I love this. And oh, after he, he enjoyed got it. tackled, his hands went even higher. Like, whoa. <laughs> oh, it was a great hit. Maybe the Cardinals should sign, uh, sign that guy. Whoever the security guard is. I, I, it was a good tackle, there, too. Did you see the form? There was a... There's a Twitter response on the Burns and Gambo account. We asked something about overreaction to the Diamondbacks loss the other night. 
And somebody said that the Cardinals will trade with the Dodgers for the security guard. I think they should. They should look into it. <laughs> like a conditional seventh-round pick or something? He, if he's a middle linebacker, they're probably going to lean that way. He's pretty good. Time to give some more love to the Coyotes, particularly to Clayton Keller, who, at this rate, he's going to break the single-season points record. He got another one last night. He's also accrued a point. I believe it's in... Yeah, it's 14 straight games. Clayton Keller has either assisted or scored a goal for the Yotes. That is absurd. And he got named the NHL's third star of the week, by the way. So one of the best of the week in the NHL. So there are six regular season games left. Yes. And how much is he trailing Keith Kachuk? He's trailing by four points now. And he's got six games to do it. Six games. And at this rate, he's going to get it within the fifth game. Is he averaging one per game? Pretty much. Yeah, then it seems more than attainable. He's also tied for second with the most points in the NHL since the 1st of February. It seems weird to break records like that in such a horrible season. Well, I mean, that's just it. How horrible has this season been? Obviously, they're not going anywhere, but you've been to a home game for the Yotes? It's great. And more often than not, they're winning. It's pretty cool. Uh, they've actually been surprisingly good since the trade deadline when they moved most of their available human bodies right. uh, for draft picks. <laughs> I just kind of felt like they, uh, like, hey, the we rebuild all continues. These guys away. And, uh, oh, by the way, we've won like 10 out of the last 15. It's great for Clayton Keller, and he's so obviously their best player. It's, it's yeah. not even close. You build around him, and you make him your centerpiece going forward. I'm totally good with that. And if he breaks records along the way, so be it. I think that's awesome. They lost to the Stars last night, 5-2 to two at home. I'm hoping he can get it done. They've got San Jose. They've got three games against Seattle in their last six. So half their games against Seattle. I think he'll do it. Uh, I think that's Anaheim gonna... and Vancouver are the other two. And I think that'll be another bright spot on the season. Wasn't the only news about the Coyotes, and I'll make this very, very quick. Uh, Phoenix is suing Tempe. Part of it being the uh, noise complaining that will exist because the air path of the planes going into Sky Harbor yeah. would go over planned development and housing. And there's some sort of rule about we can't put houses here because it's too loud and too noisy. It's a whole mess. Coyotes aren't even named in the lawsuit, by no, the way. No, they're suing Tempe. Yeah, it's... What a whole mess. You want to hear my conspiracy theory? Go ahead. I think Phoenix is ticked that they didn't get the arena. Seems fair. I think that's probably it on the most Or be happy level. with what you have. You have the freaking suns. Come on. For my co-host, Mitch Varelis, for Trevor Henry behind the glass, I'm Steve Zinsmeister. We want to thank you for checking out Arizona Sports Saturday on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader.